Hey guys, welcome to the green room. Hi Jenna. Hi. This is so cute by the way. I love this like table, this whole setup. I feel like we're like Sunday brunching. <laughs> All for you. Oh, need mimosas. I feel so important. <laughs> um, okay, so normally we just like, I just love to just kind of talk and kind of just air out what we're feeling. And it's nice because I feel like we'll get a good idea of, you know, how everybody kind of looks at the industry and especially when it comes to anxiety and what we were saying before. So it's really just open today. We can just put our hearts on the table. Angie, why don't you give um, Ryan and Shirley a little yeah. intro for everyone. Welcome to the green room. Thank I'm you. so excited Love you guys are green. here. Yes, <laughs> thanks for wearing some green and we have some green in the background. Um, our special guest yesterday, Ryan Dusick, he is a founding member um, drummer of Maroon 5, and he is now a associate marriage and family therapist, a mental health advocate, and author of a book that's out now called Harder to Breathe, a memoir of making it, of making Maroon 5, losing it all, and finding recovery, which yes. I've read and is amazing, and I feel like everybody in the industry should read it, because it's really, you offer a lot of wisdom there. <laughs> Yeah. And it's crazy because you, she, she read the book and she actually, she, I don't know if you got, knew that they were friends. She read, a, she read a guest column. Yeah, that's that how Ryan had written, but we should probably do my introduction. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'll explain it. And yeah. Shirley here, Shirley Halperin, our friend, is an executive editor at Variety. She is the, um, she oversees all of music for both Variety and Variety.com. So sick. <laughs> I'm Angie Pagano. I'm a music manager, not the important one here. And Jenna Andrews is the founder of The Green Room, and she is a multi hyphenate, <sighs> platinum singer, songwriter, executive producer, AR, publisher. The list goes on and on. So, oh, thanks, Angie. Yeah. Thank you all for coming. It never gets less embarrassing every time you hear about yourself. I'm like, and I have like this crazy eyelash that's in my eye. I'm like, God. No. Um, Wait, no. so the so, genesis of this whole talk yes, is yeah. because, well, Ryan and I, just so you know, we, yeah. we go way back um, because I've been writing about music forever and was interviewing Maroon 5 in their early years, their songs about Jane years, and a long time after that, too. Um, so when Ryan came out with this book, which was about his leaving the band and you know, finding himself and his purpose and obviously dealing with some, some really challenging issues. Mm -hmm. It was, it came out uh, right around the time when a lot of artists were canceling tours because of mental health issues. Shawn Mendes, Justin Bieber, mm -hmm. uh, Arlo Parks was another one. So beyond the COVID issues, the hard, how hard it is to make money on the road, there's also this other thing, which is the anxiety um, that it it pr produces. So yeah. I asked Ryan um, if he would write a guest column for us addressing mm -hmm. that issue, and he did, and he killed the assignment. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you were a good student. Um, and, <laughs> and Angie, you saw that article. Yeah, I when Jenna and I started talking last year about working together on the green room, I just, you know, over break started Googling all, like, mental health music, and I came across the article on Variety and sent it to her, and I was like, we have to have him on. Like, it makes so much sense. That's and then I love because that. of the link with Variety, I was like, our friend Shirley needs to be on here, too. Well, no, and we've been talking about this for a long time. Yes. Yeah, because I know that we, yeah, because, I mean, this is a bestie. I love her. Yes. Um, One of many. Oh, no! Why I do always say it's that? It's our joke. Oh it's our God. joke. It's our, it's our joke. It's our thing. Um, no, but no, and I appreciate that. And I've, I know that we talked briefly. We're only getting to me now, which is kind of nice in some ways when you're having these things, because I think it's good to get to know people this way. But, I mean, um for me and what I, we left off kind of saying is that I, um, I went through an artist period period that I, I felt like, um, it just, the anxiety of it and performance and stuff was so heavy in terms of like the preparation of not the necess not necessarily performing, but it's, um, it's all the stuff around it and the yeah. politics and all those things that were just crushing, yeah. you know? And I think that when I left, Island Def Jam, it was like, I wanted to be able to make music and also feel joy from it. And I felt like I lost that joy in the anxiety of it. And that's what I thought was very interesting about your story and obviously what you were writing about, because I, I can completely relate to that. And I think a lot of people can. It's just hard to admit. 
you know? It's crazy to think that the thing that you dreamed about doing your whole life, the yeah. fantasies you had about the life that you would live, you know, playing music for a living, <sighs> could all of a sudden be something that's really breaking you down and, you know, becomes a toxic lifestyle when you're just, you know, stretched beyond your means to cope. A hundred percent. I mean, can you tell me a bit of your experience, like in terms of obviously your journey and just how you, you got to the point that you got to in terms of anxiety and just your view on it? Yeah, well, I, I was somebody who put a lot of pressure on myself to begin with. Right. So going out on the road, like every single show was like, it's going to be the greatest show ever. I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like the intersection of that internal pressure with the external pressure of everything you're describing. Not just the shows every night, but the meet and greets and the, you know, the, the photo shoots and the, all the stuff that goes into it that you know, a lot of people don't see. Right. That your days are filled with. And for us, it was... 2002, 2003, we played over 500 shows in two years. And we did all that stuff on top of it, you know, the in-store appearances and the radio appearances, all that stuff. And so there was no downtime whatsoever. And I'm kind of an introvert, you know, I need my downtime. Yeah, yeah. And so it just kind of built over time, up over time. It wasn't something that happened in one day or in one tour. So all of a sudden I'm realizing like there's no end in sight. And every day is just another day of more adrenaline and more stress and I'm exhausted. And then we're going overseas and there's jet lag. And so it just, it was by 2004 when the band really blew up, that was yeah. like two years deep into the album. Um, I was like at the end of my rope. I was like, I can't do this anymore. My body was breaking down. I was having shoulder pain and nerve problems, coordination problems. And it was really my, now I see it as my body telling me like, you can't, you can't keep going this way. Right. You know, it was like my mind wanted to keep going. It was like, I'm going to push through this. Exactly. I'm, I'm tough. I can handle mm -hmm. it. But my body was just like, no, you're, you're done. <laughs> exactly. And it's so interesting. Like that's, that's exactly what I felt like for me. And just being completely transparent, because that that's what this is for, obviously. But, like, there was one show um, that I played that I drank so much that I literally fell off the stool. And it was, like, that was the moment where I was, like, yeah, like, I have a problem. Like, this is bad. And it, it's not, like, I always looked at alcohol, for me, as, like, such a crutch. It was the only thing, because I've never been, like, a drug, into drugs, thankfully, you know. And it was something that... Um, was just a I needed I couldn't deal with anxiety it was just way too much and that and so when that happened I just I quit drinking after that happened and um interestingly enough like I I still lived in Canada and I got like a big like tv opportunity but it's funny how the universe sort of like speaks to you in that sense they're like mm -hmm. okay this was not good for you you know obviously it was a sign that this is was getting too much but but yeah, I mean, it's 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 really not the dream aspect, like you said. It's not the music. It's not what we sign up for as a six-year-old kid. You know, it's like all the pressures of what people expect of you. Mm -hmm. You know, because you already think, like, even, like, friendships or, like, dinner parties, for example, right? Like, just even if we weren't in music, if you show up to a dinner party and it's kind of, like, nerve-wracking to, like, meet other people that you don't know and you're like, are they going to like me? Is right. it? Am I weird? It's, the social pressures. The, mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. and it's kind of like it's on steroids mm -hmm. for what we do. And so it's like the whole time. And for me, from like a woman's perspective, it's like, you know, all the things where you'll see, you know, the, the head of your label and they're like, you look great. And then you'll get a call the next day. Like, yeah, I think you've been eating too much pizza in the studio or like, I think mm -hmm. you gained some pat, like there are like such and such thought you looked terrible last night. And you're like, well, they told me I looked great. Like, and they're like, you're like, no, they thought you looked awful. And you're just like, what? Like, it starts to just completely screw with you. And that's to me where I was just like, and I already came from a place growing up that I was like predisposed to feel anxiety. So I think this was just like a, a heightened fear. And I think it's a constant coping thing. I mean, you see it. I mean, what do you, how do you feel from the side that you're on? I definitely see the um, pressure uh, especially on women um, and the less they wear on stage the more I sometimes think that they were pressured into mm. this because oh. why would anyone want to like start around on stage in their underwear I mean some people do <laughs> yeah. but you know I just yeah my inclination is always like oh someone made this person do this or suggested this person do this and you know, I do think that it's um it's crazy pressure, especially as a teenager. And then oh. from where we sit, it's kind of funny because we, we all pursued our teenage dreams as careers. <laughs> yeah. And it is kind of like a weird thing because, like, who else does that? You no. know, when you're a kid, you're like, I want to be a baseball player. You don't actually, you know, try to get into <laughs> minor so, leagues, you so know? It's so true. 
but we actually pursued our teenage dreams as careers, which kind of always makes you think about your life and where you came from and why you're here. And, and I think just to your point, Jenna, when you realize how the sausage is made, mm. how, the photo shoots <sighs> and point. the, you know, how many opinions are there for every mix down or whatever, you know, it's not really glamorous at all. No. Yeah. And, and that's, and that exactly. And I think that's the thing that's very, um, intangible in a way, like for us, it's tangible because you live it. Right. But in terms of future generations or people coming up or often, I'm sure you guys all get it. It's like, I want to be this, like, tell me advice. And it's kind of like, God, where do you even start? You know, yeah. Yeah. you're like, don't, yeah, you're <laughs> like, don't do it. I, yeah. could, <laughs> I could see as a parent being like, yeah. absolutely not. But like, I think that like for, for me, it's it's a catch-22, right? Because mm-hmm. it's your passion. And I do think, to some extent, anxiety and adrenaline is a good thing because I think it makes you perform on a high level, sure. right? Yeah. But but like you, you said, like the body stress. Well, I wanted to ask yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I wanted to do that. Because Ryan, he puts up all these videos on his Instagram of like, you know, footage of Maroon 5 when they were just developing Kara's right. Flowers even before it was Maroon 5. And I can see sometimes, especially in the TV tapings and stuff, that you are playing so hard. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when you look at that, are you like, can you see that you're like, I mean, it is the adrenaline, yeah. but yeah. it's also just like, I'm putting everything I have into this three and a half minutes. Yeah, and that was the kind of drummer I was and the kind of musician, because I was not a schooled, trained musician. Like, right. I taught myself mm-hmm. to play in my garage, and that was the fun of it. It was just beating the hell out of the drums, it was expression. It was my freedom, that's what it was, you know? And then you take that on the road and all of a sudden you're having to do that night after night, performing at that level, and you get one shot, sometimes on live TV, you know, that was like my biggest fear, it's like when we did live TV, I'm gonna drop my drumstick or something and blow it in front of seven (laughs) million people, right? Yeah. But I was just like, and I I can see the progression actually, if you watch video after video, of how much more like constrained I get. Like yes. I'm gripping the sticks harder and forcing it more and more. And if you look at me when I was 16, it was just like free and fun. And then in 2004, five, it's like, I was terrified, you know, of like messing up. And it, that was a lot in my head, you know, what was going on and my body feeling like it was not able to keep up with it. But it was also all of the pressure that you feel externally coming uh, on top of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can tell. And I, I read in, I think it was an interview with you where you said, you would be kind of like hanging with these like Berkeley School of Music trained musicians, like real jazz aficionados, like who know the drums. Yeah, but you learned because you were into grunge and you were listening to like Soundgarden, right? <laughs> well, that was the whole thing. <laughs> and your older brother being into music. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Adam, Jesse, Mickey, and I, the four guys who started Carter's Flowers in 1994, we were a grunge band in my parents' garage, right? And yeah. we were Which just. Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love you should see Adam Levine's hair. It is something. <laughs> that's what it was and so like when we got to that level all of a sudden a decade later where we're playing on stages with the biggest pop artists in the world uh with the biggest hits and currently on the radio the people in their bands were people that were really trained schooled musicians and so we i think we all dealt with a little bit of imposter syndrome it's like we're not real musicians we're just a garage band faking you know that we're real musicians and so there's an inherent sort of not feeling like you belong there when you go into it and that way but it was it was hard because i I was looking at these drummers who could do it in their sleep and it was a lot of effort on my part every performance took a lot more effort and and so it was like i had this premonition this like sense of impending doom like there's only a certain amount of time i can keep up with this and then i'm going to go down hard and sometimes that can be like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know when you focus on the negative thing oh um, for sure no no go ahead i agree with you though i think that's a big part of it well, we talk about the, po- the power of positive thought, right? If you believe something's going to happen, you, you tell yourself enough times that it's going to happen. That has a lot to do with whether or not it's actually going to work out or not because you have to believe. But the opposite is true too, right? If you tell yourself the negative thing enough times, you start to believe it and it starts to manifest in the way that you're living, right? Amen. It's true. Not <laughs> no, amen to the negative stuff, but yes. No, it's like a constant balance. And you know what's so weird? And I have to, like, I'm just, you know, speaking from personal experience, but also factual it means it's true Uh, i think we somehow and i don't know if it's just a human thing or a creative person thing but like with the negative thoughts it's almost like you almost like crave that like without them it's almost like where are they you know what i'm saying it's like you you kind of like it's a thrill in a weird way because you think when you're too positive you're like wait 
life can't be this good in a weird way, right? Because as an artist, the pain is um, is a driver for for a lot of good music too, which is kind of the catch twenty two, which you don't. So you need to find a place, which is why therapy is great, right? But I mean, to to be able to place it somewhere where you're able to access it but not have it ruin you. And I also think, and you talked about this too, how sometimes you're running through the negative thoughts because you're trying to prepare and get mm. ahead of like, all right, how do I deal with that negative situation when it happens? And instead of like being able to handle it when it comes, it just ends up like, it's self-fulfilling, mm-hmm. you know, 100%. instead of being like, all right, when this happens, I'm going to handle this. And it's going to be all good because I prepared myself through all these negative thoughts. But instead it just like ends up being a horrible situation. Yeah, well, there's this sort of fallacy that goes along with anxiety for a lot of people that are that struggle with anxiety that if you think about it enough, mm-hmm. somehow it's going to prepare you and you'll be able to avoid the bad thing from happening. But the reality is by thinking about it so much, you're dwelling on it, you're sitting in it, and it's becoming more and more a part of your being. Whereas if you're not fixated on it, if you're not ruminating about it, it's not as likely to be a part of what's going to actually occur. Oh, yeah. And like, that's why there's not, it's not like on accident that people say when it rains, it pours, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, it could be anything. You're just having an awful day and then you're like, oh, then I got, I got in like a fender bender. And then after that, you like lost something and it's just like cyclical, right? And, and it's the same with positive thought though, that, mm-hmm. which is really crazy. And I, it's like, I've seen it happen so, like you have, or like we all have so many times and it's, it's, but the problem, not the problem, but I guess the, the hardest part for negative versus positive thought, in my opinion, is being able to actually feel those genuinely and authentically. Because if you just like, if you wake up one morning and you're just like, I feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not prepared or all these type of things. And but when you tell yourself, let's just say, even though you feel that, you tell yourself, I'm good, I'm good, but you don't actually feel it, mm-hmm. the negative thing will actually still present itself. Mm-hmm. In my, in, you need to actually mm-hmm. believe yeah. that you're great in order for it to manifest into positivity, which is the hardest thing to do, in my opinion. I think that's why it's practice, you know, because if you wake up one day and try to change, you know, the last four months of negative thought with right. one day of positive thought, yeah. you're dealing with an avalanche of, of something that you're fighting against, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if it becomes habit, it's daily affirmations, it becomes part of your being, it's reminding yourself, you know, we, we talk to ourselves a lot of the time in a way that we would never talk to somebody else that we cared about yeah. a lot, you oh know? My God. Facts. The worst. If you're talking to your best friend or your family member or your partner or whatever, you're going to be like, no, you're great. What are you talking about? You're great. You're going to kill it. You know, you'd say that. But we don't say that to ourselves. Often we're like, oh, I'm going to blow this. Oh, that was terrible. I screwed that up. You know, and we get used to it. If you tell yourself something enough times, you're going to believe it eventually. Right. And both are true. So it's like getting in that habit of every time you have that negative thought, replacing it with a more constructive thought, even if you don't really feel it yet, just like what's a thought that's actually going to like lead to something positive for me in this moment. And if you do that enough, eventually you start to believe it. Mm. So is that okay? So do you, in terms of practice, is that something you do every day? Well, it's yes, but it's something that I did over a matter of time because I went through a decade after I left the band of my self-esteem just being absolutely like bottomed out. Right. My confidence was gone because my whole identity was wrapped up in being the drummer in Maroon 5. And all of a sudden I wasn't that anymore. And so who am I and what is my value? What is my worth? So I told myself for all that time when I was, you know, looking to alcohol to solve my problems, you know, and just telling myself like, well, you're, you blew it. You're a failure. You're defective. So I uh, might as well just try to feel good. You know, basically what I was telling myself on a daily basis. But then when I quit that and I walked into recovery for the first time, um, I realized that all of that was self-defeating and I didn't know how to do it. It didn't feel, I didn't believe it yet, right. but over a matter of a couple of years of every day working on it, then in a matter of time, I did start to believe it. And I started to believe that if I walk into things with giving myself grace, you know, it might be hard, you might fail, but you can overcome it, you can learn from it. Then you actually start believing that I, I can overcome things, I can take on a challenge and the positive thing can happen. That's yeah. so, I mean, gratitude is, a, is a, a big part of it. And we've spoken about that a lot in these conversations. Like it's just to be able, um, there was something that we said the other day, like, um, it's okay. I'm okay. It's okay. Thank you. Oh, yeah. so, okay. Right. Which right. is, which is interesting. But when you say it out loud, you're like, yeah, there's something comforting about it. Mm. You know? I'm okay. It's, it's okay. okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. I like that. Right. Yeah. It's so, it's so weird. Cause immediately like, you're like, 
it gives you some type of solace, which you're like, okay, there's something to this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know what I think about a lot yeah. is, um, and it's obviously, you know, just a thing that happens when you're in the music industry is that so many amazing artists have died because oh. they've overdosed or they had mental health issues or they had addiction issues. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I feel for the artists who are like, am I a good songwriter because, you know, I did whatever drug that day and that's how Mm -hmm. this song came out. And if I'm sober, will I still have those talents? Mm -hmm. And the, um, the fear that you'll lose it by losing the substance has got to be like a really torturous way to be. And then on the flip side, and I, I'm bringing this up because you spend a lot of time in Nashville, you know, I'm looking at country music where like, half the songs are like two shots of whiskey and the, <laughs> oh, right, or right, right. the beer and drinking. Yeah, yeah. Beer never let me down. Really? <laughs> beer never let you down. Um, you know, and it's like, it, it glamorizes, it glorifies this, you know, the alcohol. And right. I think about all those artists who are sober, who are struggling and like, you know, what is this doing to them? So, you know, what's know. so interesting. I don't know if you saw this, but Luke Combs just put out a song. I saw that. For to because yeah he said all my songs are about beer and drinking and this mm-hmm. and I know there's somebody sitting in the audience being like I cannot relate I'm yeah. sober and he put out a song for those people now which he did. is amazing he did it's called oh, Joe yeah 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 and, and I thought really that's cool. so cool but yeah. yeah I mean it is crazy and obviously you can talk to this but like to put that on and to be you know drinking every day to feel that height of okay I can do this because yeah. you're in that state yeah or what's the cause just... effect of that like yeah. like I mean Ryan what do, what do you think about the whole like using using it as a creative crutch and then having that fear of like if I don't have this I won't be creative anymore well I think that becomes an illusion just like everything else in addiction it's like at a certain point that probably was true mm-hmm. right the first drink you had might have made you more outgoing and less socially that anxious was gonna right? Be my point. right it might have worked right and for a while it might have worked and that might be true in terms of being creative whether it's smoking weed or drinking you you get into a zone right and you're able to get all the thoughts out of your head that are blocking you and create something magical the reality is you don't need that substance to do that if it's in there it's in there and you can access it whether you have that substance or not but you've trained yourself now to believe that you need it yeah. to do that. And that's true for any any addict or anyone who abuses a substance. You think, oh, I can't be my best self. I told myself this for years. I can't be my best self in a social situation if I don't have a few drinks in that's me. That's how I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Never mind the creative, like, mm-hmm. yes, that, but also. But so, just the, like, getting the by in life. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not even just, like, the events or the social, yeah. like, things. It's actually sessions. Like, you think, like, there's certain sessions that are awkward. You know what I'm saying? You go in and people, and not awkward because necessarily the people are, like, not great they can turn out to be amazing but for this very reason is that people as much as we talk about anxiety and we we're we're like when you ask somebody they'll be open for the most part right like in our industry and maybe not so much in other industries because it's a it's 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 a hard thing it's still a, a stigma right but anyway my thing is is that I think the alcohol aspect of it kind of just makes people feel a little bit looser to open mm-hmm. up and be like oh my god you're going through this too like we can relate whereas if if it's without that crutch it's a little harder to feel like like comfortable enough to ask somebody such a brave question for example right. mm. or to open up yourself to be right. like all right yeah. let's write a song where i'm at my most vulnerable because i have that crutch to become vulnerable well Both. like someone like jenna who like i mean i remember i think it was cara diaguardi who told me this that <laughs> going into a co-writing session is like Hi, nice to meet you. Take your clothes off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's about exactly. it. It's like, you might as well just expose everything uh, because yeah. that is what's expected. And that's a, that is an awkward place to be, especially with someone that you don't know. And then, but exactly. But it's so weird because it's, 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 yes, the creative point, but like you get there, but it's like the beginning. Cause like everyone, you know, especially in LA, I'm just going to put out there. Like everyone's kind of sussing each other up and it's kind of like, it is like you're just like wait what like it just feels so vulnerable in that moment like you're being judged right but it's Mm -hmm. like but but that could be a head thing too to your point of like kind of manifesting those thoughts because Mm -hmm. i think about that a lot where i may think if i see you and i'm like i'm like i may overanalyze what you actually thought in that moment Mm -hmm. right and and even make you think it yeah right Mm because i could look and you could just come in super normal hey jenna how are you and then i'm like 
did she look at did she see this thing on and then i'm like and i'm kind of like thing and then all of a sudden you look at it and then it just becomes like it's just it's one of those things that you almost like ask for whereas if i just saw it for what it was it would just be completely normal and that's the thing about in a session because you're kind of wondering what everyone's thinking of you and they're wondering what you're thinking of them the that's reality is that most people are thinking about themselves yeah also, yeah right? exactly <laughs> Yeah, they told, and that's and yes, and, and and I think that that's why the and again it's baby steps, but it's it's um how do you like begin to break those barriers? You know what I mean? And 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 be able to actually make these things more normalized. And I know, I mean, I don't know what is what are your guys' thoughts on on that in terms of what people actually view anxiety today. I'm just saying, it's a loaded question. Whoever wants to go first, but I'm actually curious. Like, um, I think we're very sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the press, we are. You know, I remember when uh, it became a mandate that when you write about someone who took their own life, that you put the suicide prevention information right. at the bottom of every article. Mm-hmm. And if you see right. most websites, People.com, they do that. And well, we that, do that on 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 here yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a concern for mental health. You know, you don't want to trigger anyone. You want to be the trigger, and um, you know that's definitely something that's happened in the last few years. I don't recall seeing that before. I also think therapy has been maybe destigmatized a mm-hmm. little bit because Hopefully. of people like Absolutely. Howard Stern yeah. talks about it all the time. Um, you know, uh, I mean that's kind of a question for you. Like you, you went into to therapy. No, yeah, that was that you just lowered. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna ask you how did tell me tell us about that. Well, that was you know one of the main reasons why I wrote the book that I did, Harder to Breathe, because I feel like contributing to that dialogue destigmatizes therapy and people talking about their mental health. And I do notice a trend. I mean, when I go back twenty years, when I was on the road and dealing with all this myself, it was like. I really was alone. I mean, you couldn't have a conversation about this stuff and say, like, I'm struggling with my mental health. Right. I mean, people would have thought, oh. So okay, you man, probably right? didn't I'm even know, know how for, to, like... Sorry know. to interrupt, but, like, I was going to say, like, we, we talk so much about women. For as a man with anxiety, yeah. I can't even imagine or how mental hard that health, is. yeah. Absolutely. I deal with that every day with my clients. It's like there's still that stigma about men being vulnerable. You know, you're supposed to be tough. You're not supposed to be weak, mm-hmm. you know, and so just tough it out. And I know I internalized that a lot, even though I'm a sensitive guy by nature and I was comfortable with my feminine side, I was still like wanted to be the tough guy in some ways and live up to that sort of stereotype. But I do see a dialogue and it's, it's, it's helpful for me even as a professional because you just going on social media and seeing young people talking about this stuff and opening up and sharing their stories. Like every time you hear someone else tell their story, it's allowing some a young person who's reading that or watching it to have access to something I didn't have when I was that age, you know, and it's beautiful. And so I just wanted to contribute to that. That's yeah, exactly, awesome. that's exactly how I feel about this too. Cause I think, you know, in the short time that, that I've been doing these things, like it's, 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 it's been great because in the beginning we were in COVID, we were doing them live and you'd see kids come on in the way that they would react to, you know, someone like yourselves, you know, obviously like amazing careers and done incredible things. And, but like hearing you say like, no, this, this I've gone through this in, in like these crazy experiences to the point where, yes, you've, you've had to get sober or, you know, you deal with feeling like you're at zero all in like, for a lot of kids, and, and especially, I'm sure you guys can agree, but as me as, me as a kid would never think my heroes would feel as bad as I felt. Well, Maybe. and I was also going to say, I bet when you started touring, you were feeling all that. You didn't even know how to say, this is what I'm feeling. Like, yeah, you were so you, young. Yeah. When you're, you know, back in 2002, like you said, when you were on tour, like, and nobody's talking about it, you probably don't know how to even say, like, what I'm dealing with is anxiety. What I'm dealing with is, like, this and that. Right. And so, you know, to be able to now come 20 years later to have these musicians be able to talk about it, I think is such an amazing growth in the industry. And thankfully, like, people like you, you know, are out here talking about it, like we said, you know, and just everybody that can take from this and be able to talk about it is great. Yeah. Well, as, as a kid or for you guys, like, did, did, you, did you think that? Like, I'm just curious. It's like, so funny because I, I just... I you saw your... I was curious. No, no, I, I just had a, like, you know, like, sometimes when you, like, your memory comes back and it's like, oh, wow, I haven't literally not thought about this since I was 15. <laughs> I remembered that my mom sent me to therapy when I was, like, 13 or 14. Really? And, like, I completely blocked this out. Like, I'm down with therapy. Like, I, I've had the therapist. Yeah. I've yeah. had a therapist. I'm, I'm all good with it. But I totally forgot that I was such 
a bad kid that she felt she must, she must have felt so desperate <laughs> yeah. to send me to a psychologist at that age. And I remember feeling like I couldn't be honest with the psychologist. Yeah. So it wasn't really working. If you're not honest, mm-hmm. you can't no. get the help. And I didn't want to admit that I was like smoking weed or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And that kept it from working. And I, after a few sessions, I told my mom I didn't want to go. But I was just thinking about that and like, you know, if sent, when we were growing up, it felt like desperation if you if you sent your kid to a therapist. Sure. Well, now it's actually, I think, very smart because it yes. teaches someone how to deal yeah. with other people, not get emotional. Like, mm-hmm. I remember in my early years of magazines when I was interviewing you guys, like, the pressure to work where I worked was uh, so high that sometimes I would get... Um, super upset about like really minor things and someone had to like tell me like you need to learn how to like pick your battles mm-hmm. which was just another way of saying like you're you're focusing on mm-hmm. things that are like not really that important in the end game like all these things are like yeah things you all learn. these yeah, high yeah, pressure you know? situations that we're all in well i sure. think you made a great point in saying the therapy thing in terms of what it was then versus now i mean it's 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 crazy because i think back then like i remember um like my teacher was like, I think, you know, she has a learning disability, which by the way, there's so many learning disabilities, right? This is, but back then I think it was like, my parents were like, what? Like, like, it's just so much harder to hear back then than it is now. Now there's yeah. so many different, I mean, it doesn't even right. matter these days. Do you know what I'm saying? There's so many ways to sort of get through it. Or like there's a, um, or it's, there's not a prognosis, stigma. but like, what, no, 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 right. Like now there's actually like, okay, this person has a learning disability, so we can do A, B, C, D. Like yeah. there's a plan. Exactly. You know, there's resources, there's, yeah, all that didn't exist. And I think back then it's like you, your friends, your, the community would just be like, did you like right yeah. it's like it was like a thing where you're like wait and but now it's it's definitely so much better i mean again it's amazing to see the growth over over that like the years but i think there's still um i think there's still a long way to go i mean i i had a question i mean as well is that um i find in the business side um what i think is crazy is that you could speak these things right but if you put yourself into like a conference room or a meeting and, and all of a sudden you have a panic attack what are you gonna say sorry guys i have to leave the room i'm having a panic attack it's like right people are it's going to make you look weak i mm-hmm. mean it's like i mean and that's the thing that i struggle with is somebody with anxiety because it happens to me those kind of situations are very triggering for me and um i just i never know what to do in those situations and i think like, it's just like, okay, pray that I don't faint. Mm. Like, <laughs> what should so, she do, Ryan, in those situations? Well, you know, the reality is that you do the work before so that eventually those right. moments don't happen anymore. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you're in the middle of something and they're coming up, you feel a little desperate. Like, how? what am I going to do in this moment? Uh, yeah, there. I mean, there are tools you can learn in terms of distraction, in terms of your breathing. Mindfulness meditation is a tool that I use. And again, that's practice, though. It's something that works over time. Right. You don't wake up one day and, and fight off the anxiety of your whole life with one day of mindfulness. But when you make it a habit, you know, when every day you live more mindfully and you meditate and you find that center and you realize that no matter what happens in this room, uh, there's no tiger in here that's going to maul me, right? <laughs> like the worst <laughs> is going to happen is I'm going to like freeze for a moment. I might make a, you know, say something wrong or I might get a little, but like, I'm not going to die. Like, it's not going to be the end of the world. Maybe I'll be a little embarrassed. Maybe I'll walk away saying, oh, I could have done better. But when you come, are able to be present and recognize the present moment for exactly what it is and nothing more than that, because we bring so much to the present moment that's going on internally, that's not even really reality of what's in, going on in the moment. That's really what anxiety is. I mean, because fear, it has, serves a purpose, right? If, we're, if there is a tiger in the room, we got to get out of there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is that performance enhancer. It's that thing that makes us sharp, it, right? So right. It, it's tapping into, it's the relationship with the anxiety that's important. Tapping into it as a resource, I'm, yeah. as opposed to seeing it as the thing to fear unto itself. Oh my God, now I'm afraid of having a panic attack, as opposed to something that's actually a reality of this situation. I think I read recently something that like fear is like the past when you're thinking about what's happened in the past and anxiety is future. And like if you can stay in the present moment, like relieves you of both of those things, past and future. And so it's really about like bringing yourself present. Radical acceptance of the present moment is what mindfulness is all about. And I try to practice that. That's the first thing I do when I get up in the morning every day. I stretch 
and I focus on what is actually happening in this moment. I'm breathing, I'm feeling my hamstring stretch, there's a little bird chirping outside. It's like, there's nothing that scary going on, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can carry that with you through your day, when those moments come that are anxiety-inducing, a little fearful, they're not as anxiety-inducing. You realize what's actually happening is not as scary as what I'm bringing to it. What does radical acceptance mean? Because I've been hearing that thrown around a lot lately. Radical acceptance of the present moment, meaning like, Life on life's terms is the way we would say it in, in the 12-step community. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to accept the, the present and what is going on for what it is. I'm not the one who gets to dictate what it is. I only have control over myself, not over reality. And the more I'm able to sit in the reality of the moment, radically accepting what is, not what I want it to be or what I'm worried it will be, or really sitting in what is. Uh, and there's two, there are ways to practice that. You know, it's, it's, it's an idea, it's a philosophy, but there's meditation attached to the actual practice of it. And it's just not, really, it's not bringing judgment to it, right? Mm -hmm. Not being critical of it, not imposing your judgment on it, um, having an, an open mind to what the moment is bringing you, being receptive to what it is. Um, because I think one reaction to anxiety is to try to control every outcome. I'm, I'm guilty of that. That's my tendency. Is, same, same. Right? I right? can like, <laughs> like plan for this, I can plan same. for that. I don't think so. Wow. You don't go into an, into an interview being like, this is how I want this to go? Yeah, but not <laughs> overly like, uh, yeah, I don't overanalyze it. Mm -hmm. I also think, I, and you're probably like this too, John. There's so much going on. Yeah. I don't have time to focus on these like little things. I just get through it. You Are know? you some, I mean, you don't have, I mean, have to admit or not, but do you struggle with anxiety? I have. I've definitely like, I think my thing right now is like sleep. I get so wound up, like when I'm trying to go to sleep and I'm thinking a million things and then I can't get sleep and then that's not good. Like I, my therapist has told me like sleep is incredibly yeah. important right. and restorative and yeah. you can't function on five hours of sleep. You, you will not be as good. And yeah. that's something I, I think about, but no, I'm pretty zen. <laughs> I mean, no, I know. And I, pretty feel, chill. I feel that from you too. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing because I, as you were talking, I think one thing that I found interesting is like, Focusing on the present is everything that every like so much you know a lot of people will say that and I think it's ex very true. But the one thing about the future is hope, and humans thrive on hope. Sure. And I think that there's an aspect of that, right? So whether or not you're saying, okay, I'm here right now, Shirley is sitting beside me, I have this cup of tea, like yes, that's right. But also the thought of I could maybe get this song in this or whatever is like an exciting thought as well. Mm -hmm. So. What do you what do you think about that? Because I'm I'm it's it, there is an aspect of trying to manifest or control the future to some extent, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and so yeah, I'm curious what you thought about that. Well, I think there's a balance to everything. Okay. Right. There's and I think that the balance in that is it's okay to have thoughts about the future. We all have to plan to a certain extent. Right. <laughs> yes. You can't just like disregard <laughs> what might occur, but. What we need, can focus on is what we can control in this moment. Because you can only live in this moment, right? It's like, what can I yeah. do in this moment that's going to make that outcome more likely? Because if you're worrying about all the things that can go wrong or all the things that are out of your control, you're fixating basically on things that aren't going to be productive for you, right? So, like, for me, since I've been sober, it's been almost seven years now. And basically, thank you. Awesome. Like, the thing that has been the most helpful piece of advice is just doing the next indicated action. Which means, what is the thing that this moment dictates for me is the most helpful thing for me to step into and do? I love that. Right, because if you do that every single day of your life. Say that one more time. The next indicated action, right? Because I've literally done that every day for seven years, and it, it brought me back to school to, to get a master's degree in clinical psychology and become a therapist. It, it led me to writing a book about my story and getting it published, talking in, with nice people like you about this <laughs> stuff and advocating for mental health, and all these wonderful things that have come to my life. I didn't have a plan for all of that. I had some ideas in my mind, and I had things that was like, oh, that would be nice. But I basically just did, did the next indicated action each day, and that led me to the things. And sometimes things I hadn't even thought would be the thing, right? It was like, follow that path, what feels purposeful, feels meaningful, and, and opportunities present themselves that I could have never imagined. I never, and if I had been strict in my mindset in terms of like, it's gonna be this, 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 and that, I might've missed those things. I might've missed those better paths that presented themselves that I was able to recognize 
because of the radical acceptance of the present moment and, and just seeing, oh, there's the next indicated action. I'm going to go this way now. That. Oh my, isn't we it? We only have five minutes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, um, I, I'm, I was wanting to like, I wish we had like a little notepad because sometimes we do, but um, well, it's okay. It's okay. I, I have it in my head. Yeah, we're, it's being recorded. <laughs> okay, we'll get you a transcript. <laughs> I was gonna say that I have, a, I think, a more spiritual view, mm-hmm. which is I always try to help others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I mean, just exactly like what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, so I just like put out good vibes in the universe. And hope it will come back. And, That's you know, it, often it doesn't. There's a lot of assholes in the music business. But at this point, I'm just like, yeah, I shrug it off. Like, it's not, it, it, it doesn't get me down. But you are in a different high-pressure situation. Right. You need to produce. You're only as good as your last hit. You yeah. know, like, you need to produce. And that's a lot. I don't know for me, honestly, as much as the anxiety. Like, sometimes I forget where it even comes from, if that makes sense. Because I'm not necessarily, when, like, when I go to sleep at night, I don't know that I care that much about what people think of me. Like, obviously, I want them to think I'm a good person and all those things. But I'm not sure that that's my fear. It's what, it's more so what what you said is in terms of like producing like like output like the pressure yeah the pressure of it like I don't I don't that's why it's weird in these like rooms well, I'm like why don't why do I have anxiety because I don't like I, if I'm walking out I like not to be rude but I'm like if you didn't like me then okay like I didn't do anything wrong so I didn't deserve you not to so I that's really my like what I think about which is interesting that I would have fear because I'm like I don't I don't feel that well this all feels like worries about what other people will think about mm-hmm. no but 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 I, that's what i'm saying i don't feel like i have like you said that right like when you shrug it off like yeah. i feel that same thing so i don't really know it might be like past some stuff yeah like where does yeah. the anxiety come from like for for a show like you've done a million shows and still like walking onto stage again the anxiety presents itself again and you're like what the <laughs> like, yeah, that is what why i just played a million shows why is it here still because you get used to it is what i'm trying to say and you had a good point with that because like you're so much to i, do I with. think i've become numb to it that's what, it, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. what I'm, <laughs> I'm probably self-medicating I was, you guys are not no well i mean i feel like i'm used to it too a little bit though yeah. like i'm just i like i don't i'm not like, like nothing surprises no. exactly nothing shocks us Nothing surprises us. No. The, the depths that people will go to to make money, to screw someone over, to, to feed their ego. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I'm like, it's spiritual. Like, I'm a good person. I'm going to attract good people. And those are the people I'm going to hang and do business with. 1,000%. And that's important. Yeah. And that, that's a very important thing and something that I've learned in my life is to be able to know when, you know, you need to walk away from mm-hmm. a certain person. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I think that's your... your community is so is such a big deal and sometimes it might hurt because you have passed with them or you feel Mm -hmm. like you have a connection but if you feel like there isn't like a positive you know reciprocation there in terms of friendship or like you know i think it sometimes you have to make that choice to walk away yeah i think that's an element of self-care right and self-love like you have to have enough love and respect for yourself no, sorry. Oh, okay. Well, guys, this is, I mean, we, are we gonna go? To, are we gonna stop? So, should I go? Yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to ask Ryan um, about that decision to leave Maroon Five and how difficult that must have been, and you know, how did you decide and how did you tell the band? Well, ultimately, it was not my decision. We did present it in that way when we announced that I was leaving. That it was a mutual decision. Um, I don't know if that was something I requested or they just thought it would be kind to put it that way. But um, ultimately, I couldn't play the drums anymore. I mean, I literally could not coordinate playing the drums anymore. And, um, you know, the way that Adam put it, this is the start of my book, the opening scene. Like, Adam said, you know, even if we can get through the next record, even if you could play somehow well enough to put together an album that's as good as we want it to be, like, we're going to have a whole world tour booked. Um, We're going to be out there on the road with dates all over the world. And we're going to have to pull the plug when this happens again, or if it happens again. And we all knew it's going to happen again, right? So, so it wasn't really a choice. It was kind of like we ha- have a responsibility to this thing we've built and to our fans to move forward in the best way we can. I knew that was the truth. I had to accept the reality of that. But it was devastating. It was absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, this was a thing that I built from my parents' garage to, like, the biggest stages in the world over a decade it was my entire identity. It was my best friends. You know, Adam and Jesse and Mickey have been my best friends since I was 16 years old. I was now 28. And, uh, and it was like, I didn't know who I was when I was, my entire self-definition was wrapped in, up in it. 
So yeah, I mean, it was it was a really tough time for me, and it was kind of one of those moments of like, what is my life going to be after this? And I I couldn't imagine anything was going to live up to what we had already done at that point. But somehow, a decade later, here I am <laughs> doing, <laughs> wow. doing things I couldn't have imagined I would be doing, and and in some ways more fulfilling. Right. I mean, I got to do some incredible things. You know, write some great songs with the guys, record them play on Saturday Night Live, play on the David Letterman show with Jay Leno and all this, these amazing memories that I cherish. Mm -hmm. uh, but now I'm helping people, you know, now I'm doing things that are actually one-on-one -on -one or in groups affecting people's lives. Not that entertaining people isn't helping people as well. But I was just going to say that. <laughs> I just, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's like that was gratifying and fulfilling in one way. And, but in some ways this feels even closer to like who I am and what I find really meaningful and purposeful in my life. It makes me think about, um, I remember, like, sometimes when I would do a story and I'd go, like, on the road with a band or, like, you know, spend a lot of time with yeah. them, and fans would come up and say, my brother me. died, and this song, you know, t got me through right. it. I always feel like the artist is carrying that emotion. Like, it's a lot to lay on somebody that you don't really know. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's like, well, you made a connection with my music. That's amazing. But the story around it is like, it's kind of hard to take, you know? Like if you hear it all the time, people are always yeah. coming up to you saying, this terrible thing, my cancer, this, car accident, suicide, whatever it is. You know, it's like you're, put, you're transferring all of that to the performer. And that's, that's a lot. Well, it's a weight in terms of feeling like, your responsibility to them and in, 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 in the sense that you want to be able to, you know, it's not, it's like a, a weird example, but like being a doctor and you're like, I want to be able to save everyone's life, but mm -hmm. it's like kind of, it's hard. It's hard. Right. Is what, I mean, was that kind of what you, you mean in terms of, the, I just mean like the weight of mm -hmm. someone else's problems. You are now sort of carrying a little bit of that, mm -hmm. you know? Well, and that's a really good, that's actually a really interesting thing to say too, because, um, like I feel like I'm an empath in it, like in the sense of another, you know, bringing it back to the the thought, you know, negative positive thoughts. It's like if there's, you know, when you go to like a mall or like you're on a subway, it's like all of these different emotions of people around you. Energy and and that's mm -hmm. that that's that's exactly what that feels like. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where it's just like you take all those energies on and it sponges onto mm. your body and you're just like, oh my God, like it's like, it's, it can't But imagine be. you're doing a meet and greet and you've got 200 no, people I mean, lined up and let's say a quarter of them have some sort of right. story. Like, no, yeah, it's mm -hmm. just, it's a lot, you yeah. know? And this is why artists actually need mental health, like professionals on the road and yeah. available to them and labels don't. At labels, don't, that's They it. don't help, yeah. like they don't have health insurance for their artists. So it's like this is this is how these problems sort of like fester and become bigger in in individuals. I think. Yeah. Um, well, I think labels should have in-house therapists, which is should. something that we've been talking about for a long time. It's like mm -hmm. I really think in these conversations, you know, I I, I hope that we can like be able to um, actually activate something like that because to think about how amazing that would be for an artist that is afraid of therapy, for example, and mm -hmm. they had somebody like you. Or like, you know, especially somebody like you that's worked in, I mean, that's been in Maroon 5. And it's like, imagine you were the therapist at Interscope, you know yeah. what I mean? And all of a sudden they were like, oh, like billions through it. I mean, how cool would that yeah. be? And because it, sometimes it's, it's as much as, um, you know, again, it's way better today and therapy is totally normalized. But at the same time, sometimes people are just to your, what you were saying about, you go to a therapist and you're just like, I don't want to tell you anything, yeah. you know? <laughs> so if it was somebody that you kind of felt like you could relate to in that yeah. sense mm -hmm. and you felt like there was, maybe it would be easier, especially if it was in your label and you felt sort of comfortable and supported that way. Yeah. I, I think... Um, Especially like a there. band dynamic. Right. It's yeah. like, it's such a, it's oh. like a marriage of multiple Sometimes people. Sometimes it feels like you're the only one on the outside and you're yeah. like, I can't say anything. So right now I feel like the outsider, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Ryan, you're a marriage therapist. I mean, is that basically what bands need? Like marriage okay, therapy? Okay, so you didn't mention that in this conversation. So you're act specifically a marriage client. Well, that's the license, marriage and family therapist. Okay. It doesn't mean you have to work specifically with okay. marriages. But but yes, being in a band, I always related to it as being married to three or four other people. Mm -hmm. And you imagine how difficult it is to communicate with one person and really work out <laughs> all those issues. 
you have all of the nuance that goes on between a group of people. And I, I think our band was actually relatively healthy in that regard because we were well raised, like we were pretty respectful of each other. The arguments were, um, they were, we kept things above the belt, so to speak. I mean, we, we didn't go really personal. We would argue about everything, I mean, about the music, about the performance and everything, but we were pretty respectful. So I felt pretty lucky about that. But even with that, I mean, the, the personalities can be so differing and there can be different motivations for things and, you know, inherently ego is going to get involved at a certain point, right? And we all have an ego. We're all, we all want to be uh, represented in a certain way. And so when that comes into play and there's money involved and there's a success right. involved, those are the things that break up bands, of course, right? Yeah. Or at the very least makes you miserable and, and yeah. you know, resentful and all the things that go along with it. So yeah, I certainly think, you know, having a, a couples or family therapist for a band or any kind of group that's a creative group together is is something that's probably a necessity at a certain point yeah i mean we should i mean that's something we should talk about i I think sony publishing yeah sony publishing started they just started but i'm saying during the pandemic and there is this one which we'll have on a future episode there's a new company called backline i was just gonna say backline we're gonna have them on talking to them yeah yeah so they are a 24 7 line for anybody on the road or their families or anybody related to the road to be able to call but um with sony publishing isn't it just like a like it's not like an actual therapist in the building. I thought it was like um, no, it's I, like a call. That's what I yeah. thought. But do I mean like an actual like, like a staff like, therapist? Like a staff, like billions have that, the billions. Of the yeah, show yeah, they yeah, have yeah, one in house. Oh, no. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. I was going to say executives like, too, though. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet the f- their fair share of executives independently are at therapists, but um, and the HR sometimes has yeah. to be that person. The HR definitely has that. I was just thinking, it's like, if they don't provide their artists health insurance, you like, it's almost like a little bit of a slap in the face. Like, oh, but we'll, we'll hire a full-time counselor. You so, know, it's like, how about give me health insurance? My, I'll go I mean, find my own yeah, counselor. Yeah. My friend, you know? um, Brooks Roach, is now at Giant, and he advocated for that, and they're actually doing it. They have uh, health insurance for all their artists. That's really great. Yeah, I think That's kind of like the future the of the music business. Yeah. It's like, yeah. stop so treating these Brooks. artists like commodities like mm-hmm. like what i was saying about like what you wear like you know start treating artists like humans mm-hmm. uh, and you know we'll all be better off like uh, and we'll all be healthier I'm people <laughs> i just don't know where yeah that's that's it that's a tricky one i mean when we say that it's like it's very i mean that's way more centered towards women though like in terms of of that pressure like it's just of that pressure i'm talking about yeah. in terms of um, but imagine being like an adam levine like where you are the front man and you have those extra responsibilities because it's your face and you're the singer like you know that's a, that's a lot of pressure that's added on him that mm-hmm. you know it doesn't matter what gender you are you are fronting this thing you're the head of the business you know the show doesn't happen without you you know it's 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 was different. there ever competition in the band in terms of like I mean I like was that was that an aspect of like of course yeah and, and did any of you guys want to be like the lead at any point or was it yeah well I think the original four members were all kind of musical alphas we all had a vision okay. of what we wanted the band okay. to be and if you asked each of us it might be a little bit different right. Mickey was kind of a theater guy. He liked being the center of attention. Jesse was just like this mad genius with his music and was a very prolific songwriter. And Adam was just kind of this savant who had natural talent. Um, And then there was me who was kind of obsessive, compulsive and perfectionistic and just like (laughs) wanted to put my stamp on everything and certainly had that control element, you know, of things. So we all butted heads and, and, and had our own ideas and our own egos. Um, competition for sure. I mean, we were 16 years old when we started the band. I mean, you can imagine yeah, kids yeah, yeah, in their yeah. late teens and early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, we all wanted a lot of attention. We all wanted to be the ones who had our names written on the, the byline, you know? And well, that's like what that. I'm saying. I can but imagine. you actually made it. You actually manifested and made that happen. It wasn't just like some lofty oh, no. yeah. dream. You guys actually worked towards that, and we can see from your videos that it was very collaborative yeah like this is the steps you know you start here and you try this and then you go this way and then you you have this venue and it's a little bigger and yeah it's and how many kids in garage bands get to like i mean that's no that's what i'm saying like you actually did manifest that and it's very very impressive oh i mean it's it's incredible but i always wonder in bands i mean not wonder but i see as you know you see it but like the the aspect of like Yes, Adam, of course, with those pressures, but then I could imagine for you guys, too, to be like, well, 
why like because a lot of times it becomes adam or whatever like whoever the lead is and then it's like the other band members kind of become yeah like and i'm i'm just saying i'm not i've never been in a band but i'm saying yes i've worked with bands and also um you know all these things so from the outside i would think that that would be stressful there was that moment i think it was funny i think just a couple years before we kind of had success finally um, there was that No Doubt video, you remember for Don't Speak, where like they focus the camera on her and they're all kind of like watching her like, <laughs> you know, they're all funny. Like, and so there was like a running joke. It's like at some point that's going to happen with us. They're, they're going to send her out, you know, pull Adam as the, the front man, is going to yeah. be the, the star, and we're all going to be sitting there, the out of focus guys in the background. You know? <laughs> is that almost, is it the almost famous scene? Where almost they have famous. The tea, yeah, I'm the just t-shirts. one of the out of focus guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> favorite movie so i think we all knew that was coming and it kind of had a a bit of acceptance about it when it started to happen but i remember actually you talk about you know women and men and i know that female friends of mine that were in this suffered from this stuff a lot more than i did but even as a male when we started doing photo shoots and video shoots like on a weekly basis and it was like you got to show up and look your best be your best and like the the image at the time was boy bands mm-hmm. and slacker rockers like the Strokes, right? Those were the two options you had: was mm-hmm. to be a pretty boy who looked um, sort of prepubescent mm-hmm. or a heroin chic, skinny, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and I was like this guy, like a big athletic guy, I played sports growing up, and the rest of the guys were pretty naturally skinny, and so I felt the pressure of like. I wouldn't oh, wow. eat all day if we had a photo shoot, you know? A lot of times when I went on stage, I hadn't eaten, you know, maybe maybe a little, like a sandwich or something for lunch and then waited until after the show at like midnight to have one full meal. And so I was definitely um, caught up in that to a certain extent. I don't think of myself as somebody who was, you know, um, I don't know, obsessed with image or anything like that. I really wasn't that type of person. But day after day, when yeah. you have to show up and you're just like cameras pointing at you and you're looking at pictures and you're like, I look huge next to them, you know? <laughs> you're like, well, maybe I need to shrink myself down in some ways, you know? So you almost became more... I think, I think in some ways I, I, my eating was a little disordered when I was touring. It definitely contributed to probably the breakdown wow. in some ways. You know, self-care in general. It's like eating, sleeping, these basic things that... Right. It's like you, you need enough sleep. You need, need enough nutrients to be your best self. Yeah. And when those things start to get stripped away or, or suffer in some ways, it's going to have an effect on you. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I, mean, I, 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 I happened to struggle with an eating disorder um, in high school, which was um, well before I was really like pushed into the, the music business, which is terrible thing to go through going into music because I think that was I didn't deal with it in therapy before I went into music so I think being objectified coming into it was very much like I'm like a perfect candidate for those piranhas Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because it was like I already felt those ways so it's really dangerous in that sense because like when it when when especially when you're I mean it's different because you said that you weren't prone to having those before but if you are and so many I mean 90 percent of girls have issues like this right Right. I mean that's just reality um and that's what's hard about it I mean men of course I think men and women in this business struggle with these things but I just mentioned one I am a woman that's been my experience but two it's like you know I mean back in the day especially 10 years ago and then even before that it's just the way that guys or male executives would treat women was just like literally like an object you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. you're actually not a human being and it's mm-hmm. just so damaging Ugh. you know so but we are getting somewhere and that, that's good and obviously you're a, a major help for that and I think that again with the Angie the fact that you found mm-hmm. his column and were moved by it I mean that's it, it just it says something and people need that you know so I thank you and I'm so grateful that I could meet you and do this today so Thanks, Jonna, for having us. Of course. I'm excited. Well, I mean, we'll do this again, a part two. And I wanted to mention that I have a a part, and I didn't do it today, but usually on all these episodes, Taylor endorses this, Taylor Guitars. And so usually the guests, um, and in this case, it it should be both of you guys, but I get... um, You'll, you'll sign the Taylor guitar and we'll give it to a fan. Oh, Um, So I'll bring it... I'll I'll find a way to coordinate that, but Mm -hmm. I was going to say that... uh, Usually I like to take like a little quote. So maybe it can be the um, reactive, what, the, what's it called? Radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Like I like to have like something, let's, let's like, we can talk about it after, but I think like something from the conversation that we can kind of write on the guitar and have it as like, help manifest the thoughts of whoever gets the guitar. Yeah. So, anyway. 
Also call out Jed Foundation. Oh, right, right. You've been working with for a couple of years now and yeah, our yeah. amazing partner. Love. And, yes. She is the music, obviously. She is the music. And, and at the end of this and stuff, we'll list all the suicide yeah, lines show and notes. stuff like that. So. Okay, well. Yeah, and go hey. get Ryan's book. <laughs> yes, oh, go, go, go get Ryan's book. Yes, oh my God. Get, yes. please. It's show, just, you want to grab it? Show us the book. Yeah. Sure. There it is. Hard to breathe? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Honestly, oh my God, yeah. so cool. It's amazing. And um, obviously, if you, you want to be a music journalist, you know we have we have freelance budget. <laughs> oh my god! Let me see. You know, oh, honestly, really? that was like a dream come true. Job to be a published music journalist. Your writing is really good. <laughs> Thank you. Remember when I, I was like, this is this oh is my solid. god! I see. I edit so I many op-eds. It was so easy to read. This is yeah. so cool. Like like I mean, what a. I mean, and follow Ryan on Instagram so you can see funny videos of Murr and Five every day in their <laughs> and if yeah, you're what is, what is in it? their post pubescent yeah, days. Oh, yeah, what's your at Ryan Michael Dusick? Okay. And Shirley Halpern. That's right. <laughs> at Shirley Halpern. At Shirley Halpern. Okay. At I follow Jenna Andrews. Andrews. The, the, the Janet Jana Andrews. Andrews. Sorry, the Janet. Andrews. And what is yours? Mine is Ange Pag. Oh, it's the first three initials, or the first, when yeah. everybody messes it up. Everybody calls me Angping. Everyone. No yeah, because I'm like, it's, there's not an extra N in there, but they just insert <laughs> oh, it. So it's, here it's you are. Pad. <laughs> okay, I think we're good. Well, yeah. thanks, guys. Thanks, you guys. Thank you guys. Thanks, so you guys. I just followed you. <laughs>